0: So, last Sunday during the London Marathon, a Welsh runner won the hearts of the nation as he helped a stranger across the finishing line. You might have seen the pictures in the news. Matthew Reese, who who's not related to Paul, came towards the end of the race and he saw that David Wyeth was struggling. His legs had caved in and he needed help to cross the finishing line. Matthew had a choice to make he could either support this stranger or run ahead and get a better finishing time. And he decided to sacrifice his position in the race to support this stranger. He put his arm around him, as you can see, and he walked him to the finishing line. And without his support, David would not have been able to finish the race. It's a beautiful story of one man making a sacrifice to support a stranger and help him finish the task at hand. Would you make that kind of sacrifice? Well, as we turn to the book of Third John, Gaius has already been making sacrifices to help strangers. He's been showing hospitality to traveling preachers whose task was to go from town to town and tell people the truth about Jesus. Just like David, who couldn't finish the race without his help, these guys relied on that kind of support to do their work. Gaius has been letting these guys sleep in his home, he's given them food to eat, and he's been putting his arm around them and helping helping them to run the race. And this whole letter is written to encourage Gaius to keep doing that, to persevere in what he's doing, keep supporting these preachers, to stick at it and not give up. But it's really important we get our head around who this letter is from and to, so let's look at verse 1. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The elder here is John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, and the author of John's gospel, First John and Second John, where we read from last week. We don't know much about Gaius. It was a really common name in in, in these times. There's a lot of mentions of different Gaius Gaius in the the New Testament. But all we know about this guy is there's a deep friendship between between him and John. John calls him a dear friend four times. And they aren't just mates simply because they have shared hobbies or similar interests. No, John opens this letter by reminding us that he he loves Gaius in the truth. That's the truth about Jesus, as we've just been singing. It's the truth that God sent His one and only Son into this world so that we might live through Him. It's the truth that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised on the third day. It's the truth of the Gospel. And that truth of the Gospel is the foundation of their friendship and is his motivation and focus throughout the whole letter. Let's just set the context a bit so we get our, 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 put our... Um, feet in, in Gaius' shoes. If we look at verse 9, we can see why Gaius needed some encouragement. Look at verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome this. This guy loves to be first. He's power hungry and full of pride. And in verse 10, we see four things that result, this, that result from this. Number one, he gossips about John and other Christians, spreading malicious nonsense about them. Number two, not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome other believers. That's the traveling preachers. Number three, he doesn't stop there. He also stops those who want to welcome them. And number four, if they don't submit to him, he puts them out of the church. He's a kind of loveless dictator who's totally hindering the work of the truth by refusing to welcome these traveling preachers and kicking the people out of the church who want to support him. Dutch Jesus is the kind of guy who, who runs past in the race, and he doesn't help because he's more concerned with his own finishing time. And in the face of this opposition, John wants to, to persevere in supporting these preachers. preachers. And so he says, he says two simple things. In verses 2 to 8, he says, Dear friend, you're walking faithfully. He gives him some encouragement. And in verses 11 to 12, he says, Dear friend, keep walking faithfully. He gives him that command to keep going. Let's look at that first point just now. Dear friend, keep your walking faithfully in verses 2 to 8. The first half of the letter is just just jam-packed full of words of encouragement. Even in verse 2 where John is is wishing Gaius good health, he just just can't help but mention his spiritual progress. Let's read verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you're progressing spiritually. And he keeps encouraging in in verses 3 and 4. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. It brings John great joy to hear Gaius is, is, is faithfully walking in obedience to Jesus. Gaius believes the truth, but he also lives it out. Now, I'm not a parent, um, but I can imagine the joy you experience when your child is making progress and they're growing up, when they, take, uh, when they start crawling, when they say their first word, when they take their first steps. Imagine that. That's the kind of joy that, feels, that John feels when he hears that Gaius is walking faithfully with the Lord. It brings him great joy. In fact, it even goes as far as saying that there's, there's no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. The word children could refer to John's own converts or people he's just kind of training in the area. But one thing is clear. Nothing else brings John more joy than seeing other Christians walking faithfully with Christ. Can we say that same thing? It's a challenge, isn't it? What's our greatest joy? There's lots of valid sources of joy. Could be going on holiday, listening to music, reading a book, playing with your grandchildren, watching your kids grow up like we've just spoken about watching your favorite football team or rugby team win the cup. But what's your greatest joy? It's a real challenge when we hear hear John's words here. For John, the faithfulness of other Christians brings him no greater joy. John's heart is set on seeing the gospel transform people's lives, and that's his top priority. He's rejoicing in it. What does that phrase, walking faithfully, mean? And what's the evidence that Gaius is walking faithfully? Well, it says loving hospitality towards these traveling preachers. Let's read from verse 5. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So Gaius welcomes these traveling preachers into his home. He gives them food to eat and a bed to sleep on, even though they're strangers. He loves them even though he's never met them. It would have cost Gaius time and money, and so John wants to encourage him to to keep supporting them. He's saying, you're doing the right thing. Don't be swayed by ideotrophies. He's like the football coach at halftime who says, keep your head up, you're playing well, you're doing a good job. And why is John so keen to encourage this? Well, first of all, Gaius is is being obedient to Jesus' command to love one another. It's core to what it means to be a Christian. But there's more going on here. John wants to praise Gaius for showing love specifically to these traveling preachers. Why? Well, verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. These guys have gone out for the sake of Jesus' name to tell the world about him. And look at the second half of verse 7. Receiving no help from the pagans. In other words, they don't get help from anywhere else. There's no such thing as the Holiday Inn Travel Lodge. No one else is going to put them up. So these guys are totally dependent on hospitality from guys like Gaius to do their work. Gaius, Gaius' support is crucial for them to carry on. And we see that really clearly in verse eight. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. Gaius ought to support these preachers because by doing so, he's working with them from the truth. He's literally a co-worker. The task of these preachers wasn't running a marathon, but working, to, working for the truth about Jesus. There was no full-time pastors in Gaius' church, so John sent these guys out to do two main jobs. To strengthen the church and to grow the church. In terms of strengthening the church, we saw in, in 2 John, there there's these false teachers going around who distorted the truth by denying Jesus was, wasn't fully man. The truth was under attack. And these traveling preachers were necessary to fight against that, to strengthen the church, and pr- preserve the truth about Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man, that he came to die and to rise again to save sinners. And in terms of growing the church, they proclaimed the truth, going out for the sake of Jesus' name to tell the pagan world about him. And in order to do all this, as we've said, they relied on the support and hospitality from guys like Gaius. So, John's not just encouraging Gaius because he's been a nice guy. No, it's because his hospitality supports the work of these guys as they teach the truth about Jesus that he's the Son of God, the Messiah, that he died and rose again and gives life to all who believe in him. That's what John cares about. That's the top item on his agenda. Now, we don't really rely on traveling preachers to go in the country. Um, we're fortunate enough to have full-time pastors who stay with us all year round and don't have to sleep on our couch. But like Gaius, we live in a time when the truth about Jesus is not known and when the truth about Jesus is even under attack from false teachers. And like Gaius, we, we also ought to make sacrifices to work together for the truth. There are still, still loads of ways that we can support each other's, each other as they work to strengthen the church and grow the church. Pick one person who's gone out for the sake of the name. It could be someone who's serving a full-time mission overseas. It could be someone who's working hard to run a Bible club in their, in their children's school. It could be someone who teaches children about, about Jesus in Sunday school. It could be one of the pastors. It could be a young leader who's, who's gone off to Contagious in the summer to help uh, lead groups there. Or it could be someone who's simply trying to live out their faith in their workplace in their home, in their university, trying to tell people about Jesus? Have you got one person in mind? Now consider how you could support them, how you could love them, how you could partner with them. Can you support them financially? Can you have them stay in your home? Can you give them just some encouragement? Can you have them round for a meal? Could you give them a call to encourage them? Well, by doing so, we're working together for the truth. Working together for the truth was, was always meant to be a group, e- group effort. I often think of the Apostle Paul as kind of like a lone ranger. He, he did his own thing and, and wandered from town to town to preach the gospel. But if we read through the New Testament, we see that he never really worked alone. He calls Priscilla and Aquila his co-workers. He says the same thing about Clement, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Philemon, Mark, Demas, and Luke. He praises the Philippian church for their partnership in the gospel and how they continue to support him financially. He never worked alone. And here Gai- Gaius is doing the same thing. He's walking faithfully in the truth and working together for the truth, behind the scenes, making sacrifices to see that the truth about Jesus is spread to the nations. This kind of thinking is so countercultural to us sometimes, isn't it? That's why Matthew Reese made the headlines. It's not normal to stop and support someone at the expense of your own success and achievement. Our culture says be strong. Independent, get ahead in the race. Don't stop to help others. Make yourself first. Make yourself centre stage. And even the church, we can let our own selfish desires be first, and get in the way of working together for the truth. And that's what's—that's exactly what's going on with Diotrephes. So let's look at verse 9 and 10 again. Diotrephes loves to be first. He's likely to have been a leader in this church but he loves his own position and reputation above everything else. And he even refuses to welcome John's authority. And that's a big deal. John's already written to the church to confront him in verse 9, but he will not welcome us. He doesn't accept the rebuke. And that's a big deal because this is the apostle John who has seen Jesus with his own eyes, who's touched Jesus with his own hands, and has been given authority as an apostle by Jesus himself. A Dutch fees looks him in the face and says, I don't care what you say. And instead of encouraging others, he gossips and spreads wicked lies about them. Instead of welcoming those who are trying to preach the truth about Jesus, he locks the doors to them. He even stops other people showing hospitality and kicks them out of the church. There's no mention of any doctrinal uh, disagreement. Dr. issue or disagreement, the core issue here is, is, is pride. Dr. Feeves loves to be first. His heart is set on his own position and reputation instead of working together for the truth. I think he sees these traveling preachers as a kind of threat to his position in the church. He loves to be first and doesn't want them to get center stage, so he refuses to welcome these guys who've come to preach the truth about Jesus and he stops anyone else who wants to welcome them and kicks them out of the church too. He's ruthless, isn't he? And we learn from this passage that when we let our own prideful agendas take take the driving seat, we can hinder the progress of the gospel. When our compass is set on being first, on on, on being successful or being popular, instead of seeing others walking the truth and supporting others and working together for the truth. When our own selfish ambition trumps our concern for the truth about Jesus. When we're unprepared to make sacrifices to work together for the truth. When we're living for the sake of our name instead of Jesus' name. All this kind of stuff diverts our attention from what really matters. And it's the case with Diotrephes; He's lost track of what really matters. The truth that God sent his one only son into the world that people might receive life in his name. And that's why John writes in verse 10, so when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing. This is serious business. This kind of attitude and behavior needs to be called out because it's hindering the progress of the truth. And do we see any of, of, of Diotrephy's kind of attributes in herself? That kind of prideful tendency in our own heart. A desire to improve our own reputation by spreading gossip about others. A desire to be first. To be seen as significant and important. A heart set in our own reputation instead of the reputation of Christ. If anyone knows this temptation, it's John, the guy who's writing the letter. In Mark 10, John and his brother uh, they come and approach Jesus and they, and they tell him this We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And this was their request. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. In other words, we want to be first. We would love to be first. And Jesus rebukes them and tells them that's not how it works in his kingdom. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came into this world not to be served, but to serve and give his own life as a ransom for many. Instead of making himself first, he made himself nothing. He willingly died on the cross to free people from their sin, from pride, from selfishness, gossip, hatred, and everything else we're guilty of. He died on the cross to free us from the death that, that deserves. And while Gaius has been providing food and shelter for others, Jesus gave us his own life. That's the truth. Jesus sacrificed his life for sinners to give them life in his name. And that's what's available to us. If we recognize that we love to be first, that we've lived life as our own boss in denial and rejection of God and come to him for forgiveness. If we decide to make Christ first, acknowledge that he is Lord, that his name is above every name, and he deserves to be first. John ends his letter by by telling Gaius to keep walking faithfully, to keep showing hospitality, to stick at it and not give up. Look at verse 11 with me. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Now, we're all prone to imitating copy people. Um, we we imitate the clothes people wear, we imitate the music people listen to, and we can even imitate the attitudes and behaviors of people around us. And Gess is in danger of that. He's facing opposition from this guy's church. It would be easy to follow him. And he has a choice to make. He can either imitate Diotrephes' evil attitude and actions or keep doing what is good. I think the good that John has in mind here is, is making sacrifices to work together for the truth. Welcoming and showing love to these travelling preachers. Loving Jesus' reputation instead of his own reputation. Encouraging others instead of gossiping about them. Preserving unity instead of locking the doors and kicking people out of the church. And the truth is that our actions actually prove where we stand with God. Anyone who does what is good is from God, anyone who does what is evil has not seen God, John says. Showing hospitality, supporting others, loving one another, working together for the truth, they're not optional extras for super-green Christians, but actually prove that we have genuine faith in God, that we have seen him in Jesus. John is encouraging guests to persevere in showing hospitality, to keep walking faithfully for the sake of the gospel. And he's got an opportunity to do that as soon as he opens this letter. We're introduced to this guy, Demetrius. Now, Demetrius was likely to have been the carrier of the letter, Delivery man, but he's also a traveling preacher who's come um, to preach the truth in Gaius's area. And John commends Demetrius. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Why is John telling Gaius this? Well, he's telling Gaius that Demetrius is faithful to the truth, that he's a genuine believer and is implying that Gaius should show support to him. He wants Gaius to welcome Demetrius into his home, give him food, give him a place to stay so they can work together for the truth. So we see in in verse 13 uh, that John's got more to say and he plans to visit Gaius soon. But what he said in this letter, he must have thought was important. It was urgent. I need to write to him and tell it. He was desperate to encourage guests that he's walking faithfully by loving and supporting these traveling preachers. And we've seen that the reason that, he, that, that these traveling preachers have gone out was for the sake of the name. They're fighting to preserve the true message about Jesus, to tell others about him, and build up the church. And guest loving hospitality is just making that possible. John wants guests to stick at it, to keep walking faithfully, to not let pride become a priority like Diotrephes, but keep making sacrifices to work together for the truth. And what, can we learn from, what can we take away from Gaius' example? I think there's three things in particular about supporting others in the work of the gospel. Number one, it's intentional. Supporting others requires effort. John says we ought to show hospitality. He wouldn't command it unless it was something that was deliberate and intentional. Number two, it's generous. John tells guests to send them on their way in a manner that honors God. That's a polite way of saying, don't be stingy, be generous. Provide them with the best. Give them your best. Number three, it's, it's costly. Showing hospitality will have a great cost for guests materi- materially, as he's given food to others, but it'll also cost him personally. He's faced opposition in his own church for doing it. And so, we ought to make intentional, generous, generous, costly and self-forsaken sacrifices to tell the world the truth about Jesus. It could be given financial support behind the scenes. It could be sacrificing your time. It could be sacrificing your reputation at work or, or at school by, by telling people the truth about Jesus. It could be prioritizing the support of gospel work over getting a house extension, a new car, or going on an expensive holiday. It could be going with Martin Grace to Hoyk, to to work together for the truth in the borders. It could be going with Matt to the west of the city to plant a new church and work together for the truth. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Let's not be like Diotrephes. Let's forsake our love to be first, to support each other and work together for the truth. Let's pray.